Hey there, Duke basketball fans. Welcome to episode 288 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. And the Blue Devils are coming off of a uh, another loss. Another tough, close game that just didn't work out for our team. We're going to dissect all of that stuff. We're going to be talking about Duke's you know, potential future in terms of the postseason. Um, me and my buddies. First of all, Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. How are you doing this morning, Donald? Uh, I'm tired. We're recording a little earlier than we normally do, uh, but uh, it's supposed to be a nice day outside for me to look at while I'm inside doing work. I'm sick of the weather. We've been talking about the weather too damn much. <laughs> Sam Klein up in Boston. What, what's your mood this morning, Sam? Man, that's such a, it, it's such a deep question to be asking. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's now been, it's now March. Wait, how you doing, man? All I said was, oh, I'm essentially saying, how you doing, man? <laughs> look, it's, it is now March, 2021. I think, is this the first show we've done? We, this is the first show we've done in March. It mm-hmm. is. Yes. Which means that it, we're now coming up on a year of this ridiculousness. So asking me how I am, I think at this point is like an existential question, but regarding <laughs> the, the game last <laughs> night, I'm disappointed. I do have, uh, I have one. I have, a, I have a headline for you, and I know we're going to get to the headlines. I have a headline for you that is going to make you cringe, and I have good news for you that is also going to make you cringe. So I think I'm, I think I'm appropriately melancholy for this program. I will say, Sam, real quick, uh, I don't think it's March 2021 because we've, this is March 365 uh, of 2020. I, I'm pretty sure that what are you doing? Xbox naming conventions oh, here? What is, this? what is this? Apparently, yeah. we, I think this is one we've had one full year of March and we're back at March. So I think that's how that works. All right, gentlemen, uh, enough of the uh, <laughs> craziness about what day of the week it is and what month of the year it is and what year it is and all that other stuff. Let's get to the talking about the Duke basketball game. Last night, the Blue Devils came down to my town to Atlanta and played the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, it was a classic bubble match. And uh, went to overtime. Uh, Georgia Tech prevails 81 to 77. Um, I, you know, guys, I'll, I'll start by saying I am not. I, I, I was I was very, very upset and angry and said some mean things <laughs> after the Louisville loss. I'm I'm a, I'm quite a bit more sanguine after this loss. But uh, we will start with our headlines. And Sam, seeing as you teased it so much, I, I have to hear this this special headline you have for this game. I need everybody to sit down before I give you this one because this is maybe the the most dad uh, joke type headline that I think I've written so far Uh-oh. for the show. <clears throat> Here we go. Bring it on. Hurts fouls plague Duke. Moses leads Georgia Tech to the promised land. <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. It's Passover season. It's coming <laughs> in a few weeks. And th- that's what I got for you. Let my people go. There you go, Donald. Thank you. <laughs> Let my rebounds go. It should be uh, Donald. What what are, what is your headline, sir? My headline is another frustrating loss spells doom for Duke's tourney hopes. I, doom may be a little much, my friend. My headline is a headline. Was, You're supposed yeah. to grab the reader. I, I'm I'm not quite there at doom. My headline is gutsy but not good enough. Duke's NCAA chances now on life support. So I'm not at doom. I'm on life support. <laughs> What's the difference? Doom, life support. Those, I mean, are, those are pretty similar. Those are and pretty I'm, bad. Yeah. And I'm talking about plagues. So <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat. We, we we're in the same boat. 
Yeah, we're realists here, folks. It's uh, uh, it, it's looking dicey for the Devils to continue. I believe a 25-year streak of making the NCAA tournament. Uh, uh, let's get to the game, and and guys, uh, we we will do the good before the bad, and there's certainly some good from this game. Uh, Donald, I will start with you. You know, take me through one topic, one category here of of something you saw in this game that that was encouraging. And I I'm gonna guess, Donald. It starts with a Mark and ends with a Williams. It does start with a Mark and end with a Williams. 20 points, nine of nine from the floor, seven rebounds, three blocks. The man had a career high in points. The man was all over the place. Again, uh, we've talked about how he's almost there to being becoming a monster. Uh, I think Sam and I have joked on this podcast that he is maybe like a half a cookout diet away from doing it like from the legs down. If he could get that over the summer, he's going to be an absolute beast. But uh, last cookout night, cookout diet, cookout diet, going to do that body good. Yeah, it's 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 it is one hundred percent approved by three out of three people on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are not doctors, but we know a thing or two about cookout. But Mark Williams was great last night, and, and start again from the opening tip. He had a you know alley oop dunk and was just asserting himself really, really well in the post on offense. On defense, he only had three blocks. I say only because I feel like in the first half, there was probably six or seven shots that he altered just by being there. And he may not have gotten the block, but he altered the shot enough where someone was able to get the rebound and go. And I think that is what you want to see from Mark Williams. We've seen it quite a bit over the last month or so. Yeah, yeah. one of his one of his blocks is called back by the refs. Uh, it, the, there was one that he's like wiped off the backboard that I'm convinced he got before it got to the backboard. But Yeah, you know. and he, he has a couple where he's like timed it to the point where they're like, it's a bang, bang play and they have to make a call one way or the other. Last night, I think that one he probably got and they called it a goal thing, but you know, whatever. We'll, we'll give it, we'll, again, I'll call that a shot altered because it was clearly altered, uh, very, very much so. Uh, but I think Mark Williams has done a lot to show that from where he was at the beginning of the season to now, even even in our wildest dreams, we're like, hey, we hope he gets to improve and all that stuff. I don't think it's ever I don't think we had it at the point where he would progress as quickly as he has over the last month, which has been great to see. So I I, I was just amazed that when Matthew Hurt went out, our offense became toss it up to Mark. <laughs> That's just basically all we were trying to do, especially in the overtime. 35 minutes for him. I mean, and he played those 35 minutes against the guy that many say is the best big man in the league. Frankly, I've, I've seen the ACC and Moses Wright is the best big man in the ACC. And Mark really battled him all the way. I mean, Moses Wright has incredible hands and grabs all those loose balls and dunks them. He's, he seems to get every loose ball that's just, you know, fumbling around. Uh, and Mark Williams, I think, will learn from that. He'll get better at that. And and it, dude will be an absolute – he's already very close to becoming a beast. And he I, – I, I shudder to think of how good Mark Williams is going to be in the very, very near future. Um, at Coach K in the postgame said that Mark Williams' development this season is one of the biggest pluses for this season. It may be the single biggest plus for this season where he was – you know, a month or so ago where he is today. Um, I, I, I wonder a little bit, um, is he playing his way into potentially having the NBA interested in him sooner rather than later? I don't, I don't want to go there and, and, you know, it's not time to speculate about NBA stuff yet, but don't do that. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't put that on us. <laughs> oh God. I, uh, I, it, I do not want to, I do not want to think about Mark Williams deciding that it's it's time to leave for the NBA. I, I, I can't handle it. I've been getting so excited the last few weeks about 
looking forward to Mark Williams' yeah. sophomore year. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> I, I will say real quickly, when it comes to you mentioned how he battled against uh, Moses Wright, the improvement that we just talked about. Fast for or flashback to two weeks ago when we played Virginia and we're like, man, Mark Williams, he he gave it his all, but he couldn't play against Jay Huff. Two weeks later, he is banging against what I mean, as you said, probably the best big man in the conference. So that is a really marked improvement just over those last two weeks with two really tough big men. He was able to learn from that game against Virginia and apply that to Georgia Tech. Well, it's, a di- it's also a difference in style. Jay Huff Correct, and yeah. Moses Wright are playing very different kinds of games. And I think Mark Williams is better suited to the sort of bang it in the post game, not go out on the perimeter game, which is something Jay Huff is doing more and more these days. But the last thing I'll say about Mark Williams is big fella, got to work in that free throw stroke. <laughs> uh, those were costly. I mean, if you look at the stats from this game, Duke and Georgia Tech are dead even on virtually everything. The only, literally, the only thing that stands out as a difference in the teams was that Georgia Tech shot more free throws and made more free throws, and Duke struggled at the line. And a lot of that, almost all of that, was Mark Williams' struggles at, at the free throw line. I'm not putting the loss on him, but not by, you know, not by a long stretch. That would be absurd. Here we are talking about the good, and Mark Williams is you know, easily the best of the good stuff that happened in this game. And by the way, I want to note about free throws. Coach K said Mark has a good stroke. He said that he's going to get that. He, Coach K is absolutely confident that Mark Williams will become a good free throw shooter. Um, you know, he's not one of these guys where he's still trying to figure out how to shoot it. I think it may be a little bit of a function of luck or something like that at this point. Sam, I'll let you, you haven't got, been able to get in and really talk extensively about Mark yet. I know each of us want to talk about him. Go for it. Wrap up the, the Mark Williams uh, stuff for me. I think it's easy to look at Moses Wright's stat line and say that Mark Williams failed on defense in a little, in a, in a, in a way. But, but as you pointed out, Moses Wright is a he, I mean, he's got a nose for the ball that is opportunistic. Uh, yeah, he's amazing at that, and and a lot of his points came on second chances, broken plays, that, like the kinds of things where yes, you would want Mark Williams to be defending those and to be getting the ball instead of Moses Wright, but it's just as much on the other guys on the Duke team to get the ball away from Moses Wright, and everyone can be going for rebounds and going for loose balls and and trying to stop him. So I I, I mean yes. I would like for Mark Williams to be defending another big man and to not have that big man go for 29 and 14. But given that, I think I think Mark Williams actually did a, a fairly good job given the circumstances in this game. I also don't think that the rest of the team has quite caught up to the level of production that, that Mark Williams brings, both on offense and on defense. I think the being able to funnel the ball towards a shot blocker and, and towards a, a a disruptor like Mark Williams is something that the team hasn't quite gotten a hold of yet. And then on the offensive end, Mark Williams has actually developed enough of a post game that I think Duke should feel more comfortable dumping the ball to him, you know, 12 or 14 feet from the basket and letting him make a couple moves before either taking a shot or, or passing it back out. And the guards last night, I think we're still showing that they're a little bit hesitant to do that. It's a scary thing to, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing for a guard to, to one, learn how to do that, and then two, execute it and feel like it's the it's the right high percentage play. Sending the ball into the middle when when your man is defended like that is just it, it, I don't think it's I don't think it's super comfortable for them. So the team is learning together. Unfortunately, only one regular season game left. The other guy that I wanted to talk about in the good is Wendell Moore, who we've noted the last few weeks has improved in a lot of ways that that are sort of showing up in the stat sheet. 
Yesterday, the, the stat sheet was blowing up for Wendell Moore. 20 points, eight rebounds, a phenomenal game for him on both offense and defense, and a guy who's really rounding into form. I don't think, I mean, again, if we want to talk about NBA very quickly, I don't think that this this late season emergence has anything to say about Wendell Moore leaving this year. I think he's coming back next year, but man, is this a great indicator for Duke that Wendell Moore, I think is finally becoming the, the high skilled toolsy experienced guy that we thought he was going to be coming into this season. Well, uh, Wendell's scoring is, is very much opportunistic kind of scoring. Um, you know, he find he finds ways of slipping in behind the defense and things like that. Uh, we saw late in the game when he was trying to initiate it on his own. And, and again, no blame at all. Uh, Duke, Duke had very limited weapons late in the game when Matthew Hurt fouled out and Wendell Moore was trying to, frankly, do more than he is capable of doing right now. I don't blame him for that one bit because, again, Duke just didn't have many other options. But I think what you saw there is, is proof that Wendell Moore's game is not really suited to, to the NBA at this point, not to say it wouldn't be down the road, but yeah, I agree with you. Wendell Moore, uh, look, look, listen to these stats. He led the team, he tied for the scoring, led the team in scoring, led the team in rebounds, led the team in steals, four steals, by the way, led the team in minutes played, and he was second in assists. Uh, okay, that's a good game. I'm sorry. But if you're, if you're basically filling up the box score in every single category and lead, first or second on the team in every single statistical category there is out there, you are a, a plus, plus, plus player. And, and I love what Wendell Moore has been giving to Duke lately. And you mentioned that he led the team in steals. I think another one of the, the big highlights from this game for Duke is the, is the defensive pressure that they were able to put on Georgia Tech. They caused a lot of havoc. A they very turned, good ball handling team. Yeah. Yeah. A, a good ball handling team who turned the ball over 15 times. And, and you could see that they were, their guards were particularly frustrated last night. I think that Duke did a pretty great job on defense on Alvarado and DeVoe last night. They, they weren't making shots. They were turning the ball over a lot. And, and that, that showed up. And if, by the way, if Duke makes, you know, makes that ridiculous shot at the end of the game, you know, Jamin Brakefield makes the, the buzzer beater. We're talking in this morning about, Jamin Brakefield's buzzer beater and Duke's defense. So we're probably I, talking I, last night about it. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the exact same story from the Louisville game. It was like, Oh, well, if they win and they make that buzzer beater, then we're going to have to talk about it tonight. Instead, we're going to do this dreary next day recap, but, but let's not lose sight of the fact that that Duke was able to cause a lot of havoc, man. I wish that this was a month ago that we were talking about this game. Cause there would be so many, good things to look forward to. And it was like the, the team is so close to being there, but they're also kind of out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Donald, um, anyone else you want to chat about? I, I, I think you have to talk about those sort of gutsy guys down the stretch, don't you? Yeah. And normally we don't talk a lot about moments, but there was a moment at, towards the end of the game that I thought was important to note. And that was, you know, a few minutes after Matthew heard it fouled out, we're trying to search for some offense and Joy Baker checked into the game. And Joy Baker almost immediately hit a three. This is about 225 or so left in regulation. And then we go down, we get a stop, and we, we I think the layup was blocked. Uh, DeVoe's layup was blocked. We go back down, and we're trying to get another three. We're only down three at this point. Fast break, we get the ball to Joy Baker. He shoots the ball, and he gets fouled. He then goes to the free throw line, and – as cool as three free throws that we've had all year, he knocked every single one of them down to tie the ball game. And that was a great moment because 
it gave it gave him confidence. He ended up playing a lot of the uh, a lot of overtime, but and he didn't do much after that. But that moment to get us back into that game and give us a chance to have that you know breakfield shot at the end of regulation to try and win the game, like that you want that from your veterans and for him to come off the bench and do that six points in the span of like 15, 20 seconds is really good because you want to see that the guys had confidence that they were fighting all the way. And that was what that signified to me. I really want to talk about those almost heroes, those guys that battled down the stretch. We refused to give up coach K in the post game talked about that unit. He, you know, there was Wendell and Mark and Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker and Jamin Brakefield and, and sometimes Patrick to and, you know, those guys were playing together down the stretch for much of the overtime. And Coach K said, those guys have never practiced together. This is not a unit that we figured we were ever going to have playing together. Um, and the game, the game was pretty much lost twice, both in regulation and in overtime. And both times they got us back in it. Um, in regulation, we tied it up and had a chance to win. In overtime, we, we, had, a, we had a three-pointer, a wide-open three-pointer that – uh, that if it goes down, Duke ties it up again in overtime after, I mean, left for dead. Duke was 90 plus percent to lose this game twice and had chances to come back and win it both times, which is really, really impressive. I, I just think K Coach K mentioned this. He said, you know, those guys were so active on defense. They were so opportunistic on offense. It would have been a great heroic story for something unbelievable to happen. He said, we had a chance for something unbelievable. And then he said, but we haven't had any unbelievable moments this season. Um, and that really, uh, you know, that, that kind of sums it up. Coach K said, you know, we've been very fortunate over the years. <laughs> and he said, I don't know if the basketball gods are evening things up a little bit this year. <laughs> um, but he also said that something good will come from all of this. Maybe not right away. Maybe, you know, but somewhere down the line, the hard work that we're putting in now will turn into something special. And I think... I think one of the takeaways from this game, you know, one of the reasons I'm not nearly as upset about this loss as I have been about some of the others is there were so many guys on Duke who refused to give up. It would have been easy to give up. This is a team that has struggled mightily in close games. And I'm going to get to that when we get to the bad um, from this game. I, I want to talk more about that. But for a team that has struggled so much to have as much confidence as they did down the stretch, to fight as hard as they did, shows me a lot about their character. I think the guts that this team showed is something that is worth highlighting and, and, and worth, worth celebrating even in the wake of a loss. Hey, Sam, wrap up the good for me. Give me one last good thing. I have one lighthearted, maybe it's sarcastic comment, but Patrick Tapay getting quality, late game, important minutes, and doing actually most of what he was told to do, which was make the first one and miss the second one. He just missed it by a little too much. So maybe he comes back next year and is a productive big man for Duke. There you go. There's an optimistic take. Yeah, I don't know about that one, but we'll see. Okay. Hey, it could happen. It could happen. All right, guys, uh, Duke lost as if we did not know. And as much fun as we had talking about good, and there was plenty of good in this game. We got to We got to get to the vegetables. We got to get to the autoplay videos. We got to get to the bad. Uh, Sam, I'm going to let you start. Get, give, me, give me one topic that we need to discuss in the category of stuff that did not go well for Duke. Matthew Hurts' fouls is the thing that ultimately, I think, doomed this team. Uh, we're going to talk, I think, a bit about the guard play from last night and how that's an unfortunate trend from the previous game, that the, the guard play from Roach and Stewart 
and to a lesser and and also to Jordan Goldwire, um, just not producing at the same level that they had in previous weeks. But I think Matthew Hurts fouls is is ultimately the thing that dooms Duke. If Matthew Hurt is available down the stretch, he gets more touches, and a couple more touches for Matthew Hurt equals two or three or five or six more points, and that's it. That's the ball game. Again, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be harping on everything else if if that had resolved itself. So I don't know. If are we uh, is- wait? Are we allowed? Are we allowed to harp on something where we think a great injustice was performed? Because oh. Matthew Hurts' fifth fifth foul. Uh, yes, his fifth foul was was a disaster. Absurd. Yes, I that agree. is such a I bad agree. call. But was- this is this is also now two games in a row where he's put himself in that position. And Matthew Hurt, he's only a sophomore, but he's an advanced basketball player, and he knows that he 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 can't do he can't give the refs that opportunity. And yeah, it was a bad call. And if, and if the refs were calling that foul all night, then everyone would have fouled out. But don't put yourself in the scenario where you've got four fouls with, what was it, 10 minutes left in the game and, and be you know, on, like, on your heels down the stretch, knowing that you're the most important offensive player for this team and knowing what the offense looks like when you're not in the game. Because come on, Duke's offense with Matthew Hurt versus Duke's offense without Matthew Hurt, Ooh, not boy. the same team. Yeah, yeah and, and the thing about that is that you know, other teams fear Matthew Hurt on offense. They may fear like Mark Williams on defense or something, but they fear the only one they really fear on offense is Matthew Hurt. So we've seen the last few games, the the game plan for them has been try to get Matthew Hurt out of the game through foul trouble. But I will say this, I and those of you out there who have way more time than I do, I need you to research something because the last few games – that television Theodore Valentine has been a referee on the court. Matthew Hurt has fouled out. I, I'm not saying, I just, I'm just asking you if there is a correlation, please email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> it, it just seems funny that every time that television Theodore is out in the court, Matthew Hurt ends up in foul trouble, but I just want to see if the data backs that up. Uh, so Donald, um, I don't know whether you're going to talk about the guards. I have a lot to talk about the guards. I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you get to that in a second. Before we get to the guards, I do want to talk about Duke's inability to win close games because the nail biters are killing us. Uh, this is yet another tight game that we lost down the stretch. Um, I, I went back and looked at our season. Duke has had a total of 10 games this year. 10 games decided in the final minute. I'm defining that as a game that was a two-point game in the final minute, if at any point in the final minute, it was a two point game. I'm not counting. If it was a buzzer beater, I'm not going to, you know, the, it was a five point game and he hit a three at the buzzer to make it I'm not counting that. But if in the final minute, it was a two point game. If you had possession of the ball with a chance to take the lead, that's a, that's a 50, 50 game. Duke's record in those games is three and seven. We won against BC, Georgia tech. The first time we played them and UVA, we have losses to Pitt, Louisville, Miami, UNC, Notre Dame, Louisville again, and now Georgia Tech. A three and seven record in games where you had the ball with a chance to take the lead in the final minute. And by the way, if you expand that out and just go, okay, final score, look at games that are decided by 10 points or less, non-double-digit games, games that don't go to 10 points. Duke's record in those games, three and nine. In double-digit games, we're eight and one. Like if it's, if it's not close, Duke's winning. We're eight and one. If it is a close game, three and nine. And related to this, Ken Pomeroy says the Duke is an unlucky team. 
he has a, a statistic, a measurement that he calls luck, which is, you know, uh, what is your record compared to what the computers say your record probably should be based on who you play, based on your opponents. Duke is 11 and 10. And Ken Pomeroy says Duke is the 343rd most lucky team in the country. And put another way, we're the, about the 10th most unlucky team in the country. The computers would expect this Duke team, we are currently 11 and 10. They would expect us to be more like 14 and seven, somewhere in that kind of ballpark. That really, we should have found a way to win two, three, maybe four more games based on the quality of our team and the schedule that we've played. And boy, what a difference. If we were 14 and seven right now, we wouldn't even be talking about, you know, whether or not we're making the NCAA. That'd be a given. We'd be, we'd be looking at, you know, is Duke going to get a top four seed in, in the ACC? Um, so our inability in these close games, and part of it, part of it literally may be luck. You know, I, I don't know. Certainly there are scenarios, there are chances where we win that game, where Jamin Brakefield hits that last second shot. There are certainly many chances where we beat Louisville, where we get the, a free throw rebound with, with 10 seconds left and we come down and score. That, those are not unlikely events to happen, not by a long shot. And, it, it, uh, you know, it's, it's just really frustrating. It feels like Duke's having several years worth of bad luck at the same time <laughs> in this one season. Jason, I saw this tweet last night on this exact topic that um, that Blue Devil Lair had retweeted from another Duke fan uh, at Samarin Crazy, who says Duke's losses are not getting any less painful. Lowest margin of defeat in ACC play, minimum eight losses. So this is going back history of the ACC. Uh, the 1975-76 Virginia team had an average uh, had an average margin of defeat of 3.9. That's the that's like the closest margin of defeat for teams that had eight losses or more in ACC history. This Duke team is second with 4.9 points. So what you are seeing here is that wow. Duke is repeatedly losing close games. And so their average margin of defeat is one of the closest in all of ACC history for teams that have, that have lost a, a certain minimum number of games. So what you are seeing is actually bearing out in, in Duke's results. So many of these games, not just this Georgia Tech game and this Louisville game, but, but going back before Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, whoever else, Duke is losing close games repeatedly over and over again. And they're all coming in the, in the final couple of minutes. This is not Duke like necessarily closing the gap a lot on teams. This is Duke being back and forth and then ugh, losing by four points, ugh, losing by three points. It's happening all season long. But like I said, we have a three and seven record in games where you had possession of the ball, ball in your hands with a chance to take the lead, ball in your hands, two point game in the final minute of play. Duke is just three and seven in games like that. All right. We got to get to one more bad category. We got to talk, talk about the guards, Donald. Well, we'll talk about the guards, but let me comment on that because I think it leads into the guards discussion. This season has been wholly frustrating. You said it quite a bit in that last segment, and I think it's just the theme of the season. It's been frustrating because there's been no confidence. And the lack of confidence that we've seen throughout the season has found its way to manifest in the guard play. And the guard play last night, I won't say was worse than Louisville because I don't think there was a lot worse than Louisville, but it wasn't much better. It was 
frustrating is is the word that I can use to describe it, but it's wait, not wait, the wait, best wait. word. So, so I actually, so I was really mean. I was really mean to our guards on the last podcast. And I, I feel kind of bad about that. I said they played their worst game of the season against Louisville. And it's clear that they decided to prove me wrong. <laughs> right. But they, and, and they, but the thing was, I, I don't think they, I don't think they were worse this time around because the fight is still there. And I get, and I, I'm cool with that. There's been a couple games where the fight wasn't there and we, you know, gave them, gave them, you know, gave them the business for that. But I think the fight was present last night. It's just frustrating because every single time we get to within two points, we get to within three points. So we have a chance to take lead or tie or, or send ourselves to the foul line to make easy free throws. We throw the ball away. We had 14 turnovers last night. And I want to say that like, I counted maybe like nine of them were entry passes from the top of the key into the post where we just passed it to the other team. And it's not like we're you know trying to skip the ball around and we just miss, we just miss our target or something like that. Something where you could say that being aggressive led to the turnover. These are lazy turnovers, and I think that is where it becomes really frustrating because you know it's not like we're only waiting to the last minute of the game to have these chances to take the lead. We're seeing this repeatedly throughout the game where we get to within two. We go all right, cool, get the stop. We get the stop. We go down and then we just pass it back to the other team and that's where your frustration grows. And it starts with our guards because they have to be able to control the ball. They have to be able to take care of it and they have to be able to execute and run the place. And sometimes they're not able to do that. I will say also with the guards last night, there were a couple of times where they took some bad shots. And I'm not saying that that is something that costs the game, but as you build those over, you know, over the, uh, over the course of the game, it becomes an issue where you have to say, Hey, look, Make sure we're executing the play that we need to. If there's a, if if it there's going to be a couple times during the game where the play breaks down and you have to force something up. Cool with that. But it seemed like there was times where early in the shot clock we took a you know thirty foot three or twenty five foot three when there was probably something that could have materialized in the you know fifteen seconds before the shot clock ran out. So that's where I think being young versus being veteran is where our downfall is this year. We're very, very young. We've, we've established that. And I don't want to get on them in that way, but it's something that hopefully as we get towards the end of the season and even, you know, start thinking about next season, this is something that would be a point of emphasis to make sure that they learn the leadership of the team requires taking care of the basketball and executing plays. Look, the, the thing I'll say about the guards. And like I said, I, I, I hammered them last podcast. Um, uh, DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach were borderline unplayable in this game. Um, they're young guys. They have a lot to work on. Uh, they, they clearly are very ta talented. We've seen really good play from them at various times this season. They're just stuck in a really terrible rut at the moment. But I think it's quite significant that neither one of them, like the final three, four minutes of that game, Coach K didn't have either one of them in the game. And, and, and the start of the overtime, he didn't have either one of them in the game. He, he went, he went, DJ Stewart came back in the game at the very, very end of the overtime when it was clear that we had to hit a three, we had to hit threes. That was our only path back. Um, and so coach K put nothing but shooters on the floor and DJ Stewart is a shooter. And in fact, DJ Stewart had a wide open, I mean, an absolute wide open look from three that would have tied the game up in the final, you know, 20 seconds that, that he, that he missed, um, but, but I, I, I think it's quite significant that, that Coach K wasn't playing either one of those guys who have been – they've been our guys down the stretch. There's no question about it. 
virtually every game this season, uh, but not against Georgia Tech. Coach K didn't have confidence in them. And in the postgame news conference, Coach K said, and this is, I want to be clear, this was not Coach, he wasn't angry. He wasn't throwing them under the bus. He was just stating it as a matter of fact. He said, you, you got to hit shots. And, and our guys in the perimeter have not done that lately. And he said, we're just not getting any production from our guards. And it just, it makes it harder for everybody else. I, I'm with coach. That's like, that's kind of the, it's hard to describe it, but that's kind of the it's a, feeling it's just that a I fact. It's a, it's, it's just a fact. Yeah. It's know? just like, Hey, we, you know, it wasn't good last night. It's frustrating, but what can you do? Like this whole season has been frustrating. And last night was just kind of, you know, piling on to like, I guess we're just going to get all our frustration out in the 2020, 2021 season and hopefully leave it in the past. But that, I mean, that's been just the theme of the season is that we've had a lot of frustrating moments. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of frustrating, we're going to take a commercial break. No, commercial breaks aren't frustrating. Hopefully you'll enjoy the commercial break. When we come back from that break, we're going to be discussing Duke's postseason chances and whether or not we should take a bid to the NIT. Is this actually something Duke is discussing? We'll talk about it in just a moment. Okay, we're back, and it is a conversation that uh, Duke rarely, if ever, has. Uh, the conversation being, what about the NIT? Um, because the reality is, I think all uh, everyone is aware, if the NCAA tournament was today, there's one regular season game left, and then the ACC tournament. If the NCAA tournament was today, Duke would not be in the field. Um, I think there's very little question about that. We're close, but we would not be in the field. Uh, Duke likely needs to beat North Carolina and then win several games, at least two, maybe three in the ACC tournament. If we don't beat North Carolina, we almost certainly have to win the ACC tournament. I mean, you know, you need to see what happens and, and no one is in the committee room, but um, it, it looks like an NCAA tournament bid may be a long shot. So we're not going to talk that much about Duke's NCAA chances, but we want to discuss if Duke misses the NCAA, should they accept a bid to the NIT? Because there is some debate about this. And Sam, I know you're going to sort of take the uh, you're going to take the position that maybe Duke shouldn't bother with the NIT. So uh, g- give me that argument. Help help me understand why the Blue Devils should opt not to play. I think there's a COVID component to this and a non-COVID component to this. So I'll talk about what I think is the more straightforward COVID part of it, which is. It's been a long season, not just for Duke, but for all these teams. But I know from us talking about Duke and following Duke that the players have been isolated from a lot from each other outside of practice time and certainly from the rest of the community and from family. They, they have nice accommodations, but it can get pretty lonely the way that they're living right now to be able to play these games. And I feel like if I was one of them right now, I would say, you know what, we're not playing for, for a banner that, that this program is going to hang in the rafters. I don't think Duke would hang an NIT banner at the end of this, even if they were to win that tournament. So, you know, we're, we're not playing for, for the same kind of glory that, that we normally would be. And we're also putting ourselves at risk by doing this. So the, um, so I, I think that that component of it plays a part. They're putting themselves at further risk and, and not getting the same kind of reward from it. That's the COVID angle. The non-COVID angle to this is that Duke has suffered a lot as a, as a program, I think, down the stretcher. They've lost a player um, 
a couple of the guys are, you know, some of the guys are, are developing and, and Matthew Hurt and Mark Williams in particular have had great ends of seasons, but a lot of the other guys are clearly struggling in a way that, that is not coming together quite well at the end of the season here. And in a year when they're going to have to change, I know this is sort of kind of going back to the, the COVID thing, but in a year when they're going to have to, you know, go through all these additional logistics and, and change the format and everything, I just don't see the, the players getting excited for, for playing in these games. And I don't know that it's as much of a teaching opportunity for coach K and the rest of the coaching staff as it would be, you know, in normal times. And, and I'm trying to, as I'm thinking about this, I'm trying to remove the COVID element and think if this was a few years ago and, and Duke hasn't had a team that was close to missing the tournament in, in a long while. So it's kind of hard to be in this mindset, but would Duke in a normal season, accept an NIT bid, I think they would. So perhaps the, the COVID element is just weighing heavily on here, but I can understand why they would think, you know what, we've been through enough of this. Let's just shut it down. It's hard to, it's hard to say, no, you're definitively wrong. So I'm not going to, I'm absolutely not going to do that. And, and it is entirely possible that, that COVID is such a strain, as you said, that, that they will decide not to play. I, I, I believe the that- women's team, the women's team, by the way, just yeah. opted out of the season and yeah. sure they weren't, you know, they, they weren't lighting the world on fire, but they weren't bad. You know, the, the, the season had, had basically just kicked off. So the possibilities for that team were pretty much unknown, maybe inside the program, they knew more about things going wrong, but the players all seem to be on board and, and they're still running practices and Carol Lawson is excited about it. They just didn't want to deal with all this silliness. Yeah. And, and I don't blame them at all. I, just so folks understand um, I, I want, I want to outline exactly what the NIT is this year, because it is different from what it's been in the past. It's not 32 teams. It's only 16 teams. There will be no automatic qualifiers in the past. If you were a team that had won your conference regular season and lost in the tournament, you were an automatic invitee to the NIT. That's, that is not the case anymore. It'll be nothing but at-large teams. And, uh, and in fact, a lot of people think that that means that we're going to see mostly bigger conference teams, that they're going to try and get some big names teams that, you know, even, even potentially a Kentucky that is, uh, that, that is, not going to go to the NCAA tournament and it's not even going to be 500 on the season. I believe that the NIT is allowed to invite anyone they want. Um, and, and there's, you know, talk that they will invite someone like a Kentucky. Duke is another good example. It is entirely possible, not likely, but it's possible that Duke will only be 500 on the season. Um, uh, perhaps, you know, even under 500 on the season, it would, it's not crazy that, that would happen, but that we would still get an NIT invite. And, and then the location is the other thing. Um, it, it will take place in Dallas. I know I said on the podcast it was taking place in New York. There had been talk that they were going to do the entire NIT in New York. Um, they ended up announcing just a few days ago that they were doing the entire tournament, 16 teams in Dallas, you know, suburban Dallas, all around the Dallas area. And it's going to take place between March 17th and 28th. So, uh, Sam, in terms of whether they whether they should go. I'm of the belief that Duke should go. Uh, and, and I have two reasons for it. And then Donald, I'll, I'll let you get in and you can tell us what you think. My two reasons that Duke should go. One is this is a young team. More experience is a good thing. Playing in a, 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 as a young team, having them play in, in the pressure of a tournament is a good thing. You know, understanding what the postseason is like is a valuable thing and, and good, you know, for these guys to, to, to develop the, the, the skills that you need because it's a different set of skills. Um, and then the other thing is, I feel like if we say no, it looks a little bit like Duke is sort of snooty and 
you know, in terms of our reputation, um, it, it, it isn't a great look to be the team that, that, that at least appears to like, oh, we're too good for the NIT. You know, we're, our, we're too important to play in that lesser tournament. I, I mean, I will say the people who are probably going to say that and think that already hate Duke. And, and I think Duke fans and people who, who actually support the program you would not feel that way. But, but I'm not looking forward to dealing with, <laughs> dealing with the haters on that. By the way, that is a totally valid thing. Like if you're a Duke fan or if you're a Kentucky fan or a UNC fan, like every one of these top programs has some thing that fans like to needle them about. And I like if I was a if I was a Kentucky fan, you know, in, in some other weird alternate universe, I would not want to be like going back to that that NIT year where they lost at home in the first or, or, or no, they lost. In the they first lost round. to Robert Morris to Robert, Robert, at Robert, Robert Morris, Morris. Morris. Yeah. The, because the they team. had a concert. They had a concert at Rupp Arena, so they said, "Oh, we'll just go to we'll just go to Robert Morris." Yeah, and, like we'll win anyway. And Calipari's from there. He's like, "It'll be fine. I'll I go would, home. We'll beat him, and then they end up losing." No part. I do not want to revisit that. I do not want to revisit the the time when Coach Cal said, "Oh, this is one of the greatest days in Kentucky history." When they get five guys make the get get first round draft picks, they didn't make the final four. I don't want to be a Kentucky fan and think about that the same way that a Duke fan. Here we go. Here's a, here's a, like Duke fans don't want to be reminded of 1995. They don't want to be reminded about 1986. They don't want to be reminded about 2007 or any of these other years. Like we don't have to talk about that stuff. So I think this is totally valid. Wait, why, why do we not want to be reminded about 1986? Oh, you mean just cause it was so painful? Just cause of that, just cause of that game being so painful. I mean, like yeah. you've shared, you've shared that with us. I don't oh, Yeah, I was, I was three years from being born at that point. Never so. nervous. <laughs> uh, Donald wrap up the NIT conversation for me so I say we should go we need the experience Sam says COVID no way it's just you know it's, it's tough what what it, break the tie here for me man so two things one I, I think Sam's analysis about COVID is I think what we all would if the players are like hey because of COVID we're not going to do this we all support them in that if they want to go in spite of all this awesome like we're behind it the second thing I'll note is I, I, I was with you. I thought that the in, IT was all going to be in New York City. Having it be in Texas makes all the sense in the world now, given that just yesterday, the governor announced that everything can open up to 100%. Read that right. 100%. A hundo. So that means they can have full arenas for the NIT, something that the NCAA tournament cannot claim. I, I think it breaks down to two things, right? whether we should go and whether we will go. I think we should go. We have not, and here's the thing about the NIT. We talk about how, oh, we're, we're you know, so snooty for the NIT or other fans would say that. We haven't been invited since 1981. That was our last appearance in the NIT, 40 years. Why? It's because we've been in the NIT for like 38 of those years. So or in, in the NCAA tournament. NCAA, for, yeah, yeah. In the NCAA tournament for 38 of those years. So like, we, we haven't needed the NIT. The one year that we had it, we were so bad that even the NIT couldn't invite us. And that was 95. So we haven't been in 40 years. We, we haven't ever won the tournament because we've only been to it four times in, our, in the history of the program. The idea of going to the NIT for me is kind of like going to a bowl game for football. It's extra practice, extra time to build chemistry in a year that we haven't really had that opportunity to do so you get the opportunity to have a few more practices and, and try to win another title, win another game, win your last game. And for Jordan Goldwire and Mike Buckmeyer, it could be their last game in college. Do they want to go out, try and go out Patrick on a high Pay. note? Patrick and Patrick Pay. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, well, I mean, Pat Chappay, we'll see if he comes back because of the one-year thing, but it's clear that they honored on senior night. They honored two guys. They didn't honor Patrick Tepay. We'll, we'll put it like that. So the idea that they could go out and win their final game in their college career, which is something that very few guys get to claim to do, is maybe an opportunity for them. Maybe they look to them and say, hey, what do you guys want to do? Will they accept it? I don't know. I think they will. Well, thanks for going out on a limb there, man. <laughs> well, no, no. Here's the thing. I think hot they take w- from Donald. I don't know. I Look, think we they, don't need to be hot take guys. We we yeah. just need to. We need, we to, need tell to be reasoned. We don't know what's and going on. And the measurable thing is, I I think they will, but I don't know that because I think the COVID element has clearly been a factor throughout this entire season, and it could show itself if we're like, hey, we're trying to you know bust our butt to get to the NCAA tournament. If we fall short. Let's take the break that we haven't taken since August. So that's where I think we're at. I, I think the idea is let's play these next four, you know, three, let's play this next game against UNC for what it is. It's, it's the rivalry. Let's get a revenge game. Let's get back on the win column and then go to the ACC tournament and try and win that thing and see where the chips fall after that. After that, I think they maybe take a week because the 17th is, you know, you still have kind of a weekish or so to kind of figure out what you want to do. And then they take that break and see if they want to keep going. I, I, I can see it. I like it. So, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, folks, you'll notice we did not do a UNC preview. Uh, that will be coming later in the week. Uh, we will be talking. Coach K is doing a special news conference to talk about the Carolina game. And we will uh, listen into that news conference. And then we will be doing our preview of the uh, game against Carolina, the final regular season game of the season. Um, sort of, you know, like I said, Duke's NCAA chances on life support and part of the life support will be beating the Tar Heels. We need to get revenge for the game they won against us just a few days ago. Uh, But so that's going to wrap it up here for episode number 288 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Like I said, I am Jason. He is Donald. He is Sam. We ask you folks, please email us if you have any questions, comments, want to interact with us. We've gotten some great emails lately. Our email address is dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us those nice five-star reviews and we'll read them here on the air. But until then, I'm Jason. He's Donald. He's Sam. I already said that. Why am I saying it twice? I don't know what I'm doing. We got special DBR podcasts coming at you later this week. We got a Carolina game coming up. We're not going to think anymore about Georgia Tech. Duke Band, take us home. Thank you.